ever wondered what it takes to learn useful tech skills without ever picking up a textbook? Interested in how you can leverage those tech skills in an unusual industry? Curious about how you can navigate the tech industry without a degree? This episode is for you. Welcome back to the No Degree Podcast. I'm your host, Janaid Iqbal. Here, we share inspiring success stories that go beyond the norms and don't necessarily require a conventional degree. Today, we've got Faisal Abid. He's not just a tech whiz. He's also the co-founder and CTO of an unconventional business, an online funeral home. Combine that with his entrepreneurial expertise and you have a bunch of experiences you may find intriguing. And yes, all of this without a degree. Want to learn how Faisal broke into the tech world and picked up the skills through his work experience to build a niche business that went on to raise millions? Then brace yourself as Faisal is here to share his unique story filled with innovation, surprises, and impactful insights. We're going to explore how he's managed to reinvent and create unusual value in the marketplace. Faisal will share the strategy that he used to stay relevant in the tech market to always find a job. Stay tuned and let's drive in to this intriguing story here on the No Degree Podcast. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the no Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. I want to personally thank you for tuning in and supporting our show. If you haven't yet, hit that follow or subscribe button. I encourage you, don't keep this to yourself. Share these inspiring stories with your friends. Invite them to subscribe and connect with us on social media. Today, I have Faisal Abid. Do you mind sharing what you do? Yeah. Well, at the moment, I am the co-founder CTO of Irene Cremations. Uh, we are an online funeral home. How does an online funeral home even work? Yeah, I stopped myself there because I didn't want to... Usually, when I introduce myself, I'll get into what an online funeral home is. But I had to stop myself. We'll get into that later. Okay. We'll get into that later. So yeah. um, if you could create a blueprint of your success to pass on to someone without a college degree, what would it look like? Like, what should you do? What shouldn't you do? I think a lot of it is what you should do is talk to a lot of people. I think if you are going to just stay at home and not talk to people, you probably won't. You're better off. Because if you think about what the purpose of a college or university degree is, it's to learn, but more importantly, it's to meet like-minded people and network. And so if you... And I'm not saying go to parties or anything. It's go to like, if you're into tech, go to like tech user groups, go to marketing events, whatever. That's where you meet a lot of interesting people. But at the same time, I think what's really important is keeping yourself up to date with what the latest trends are uh, and what specifically businesses are looking for. So if you look at like my blueprint of success, it's specifically been, you know, this is what companies want. This is what I'm really good at. It turns out that that's a perfect match. And after that first struggle of getting my first job, the rest became subsequently very, very easy because of that networking. If I wasn't networking, and I think back now that if I was just like, okay, great, I got my, you know, nine to five job, I'm going to just go to work, heads down to work, then come home and that's it. The second and the third and all the subsequent things that I've been able to do would not have happened. That's great advice. Like really talk to people because so many people, they don't try to get other people's perspectives. And oftentimes this is how you find a mentor and you find an advocate. And one of the things I've learned, because I've worked with a lot of college students who are very smart, 
I've learned that smart college students don't take feedback well. Because what do smart college students do? They spend a lot of time doing online research. They spend a lot of time. And so they go into something like, hey, I've gotten some level of success. I know everything, right? That's just a young person. I know everything. I can do no wrong. And then I've tried to sometimes tell them like, hey, I have expertise in this area. Here's what you should do. They're like, oh, but I researched online. And oftentimes like researching online is the first step. But once you, after you do that research and you put into experience, you learn, hey, here's what the advice was good for. Here's what it wasn't. So for those of you without degrees, take that feedback, talk to people, right? Do your own research, but also make sure that when you have someone who's done it to take, that's primary research, right? That's just firsthand. Because yeah. a lot of time people online, they're regurgitating other things that other people have told them and they've tested it in limited capacities. Yeah. The thing with feedback is specifically, it's not targeted towards you. Yeah. That it's a very fine line of you feeling attacked versus you feeling like you can improve. It comes to, do you trust the person that, that's giving you feedback? If you're a designer and I, I don't know crap about design and I'm giving you feedback, then maybe you don't take that feedback seriously. But if another designer that you respect is giving you feedback, then you don't take that as an insult. You take that as something that, you know what, I can improve on it. So that's a big problem that I see with a lot of people who think that they know everything, specifically like you were talking about that, where it's like, well, I know everything. I don't need this feedback. But uh, that that's always a recipe for disaster. Yeah. And the most important feedback come from people who pay you money. So if people who are ready to pay you money yeah. are giving you a certain type of feedback, for example, in the job market, if they're like, hey, we're absolutely. looking for these skills and we're willing to pay for it, that's the ultimate level of feedback. So take that yeah, into account. Absolutely. Now, what would you say are the salary ranges for the types of roles that you've had? Well, the first job I ever had uh, was 80000 Canadian, and that was just right out of, well, I, I didn't graduate, so that was just me getting my first job, and that was specifically not even a junior job. So I short-circuited the whole junior role because you don't – I think that you have to think about, well, what is the path? Like, why is a junior role a junior role? And a junior role is – Specifically because you need, A, you don't probably don't have the skill sets or you've never worked at a place before. I kind of short-circuited that by working, at building my own startup and working alongside people. So when I applied, I didn't apply for a junior. I applied based on the skill sets I had. And so that got me a $80,000 job. I would say perhaps if I was looking for a junior, probably around sixty five. At 2012, but I think that's reasonable. Yeah, even for today's market, it's reasonable. No, definitely today's market is definitely reasonable. And then I guess roles higher up, like the 80 to what 150, 200. Maybe? Yeah, 80 to 150, 200, 250. Like I think what there comes a point where when you start off, I think what's important for the audience to understand is you're really trading your time for money. Yeah, the more time you put in, the more money you'll make. Up to a certain threshold. Yeah. After that threshold, you know, once you cross like 120, 150, you're in like the senior or maybe like depending on the company, like level one, level two, whatever. You're not trading your time anymore. What you're trading for is the experience you've gained from doing quote unquote, like, you know, the grinding early on in your career. After that, it's just the time value conversation is real around how much value you're bringing. Versus early on, it's really about how much time you're putting in and what you're learning from that job. 
Yeah. No, and I think it's important. Like, if you can demonstrate that you're bringing X amount of value, and let's say you're bringing $5 million worth of value, oh, you're worth that 500K, right? Because obviously they have to make a multiple and there are other costs too. Of course, of course. There's some risk. And and really, it depends on where you're joining. If you're going to join, you know, Google, Google probably won't pay you 500K unless they're acquiring you or what I mean is like 500 without options or whatever. With your stock options, yeah, sure. But conversely, maybe you're joining like a very hot startup that's just taking off and you're bringing to them value that you can, you know, upskill, you know, grow their market share in certain country, then that is probably worth 500K if you have the resume to back it, right? They're not going to look at your education. They're not going to say, oh, yeah, this guy went to McMaster. And for marketing, we should pay him that much. No, it's what did you do for the past five, 10 years that we should pay you this much. So now let's take it back. How was high school like for you? And would you want to be in high school? Uh, what I was doing right now. Um, I think uh, not even high school. I think probably since elementary, I wanted to run a business and do cool tech stuff. And I managed to continue doing that. So I've been lucky there. Uh, in high school, I was starting to do consulting. I was I got approached to write a book on tech. So I did that as well. It was a programming language called Flex, Adobe Flex. And so I did that as well, along with some co-authors. So I've done a bunch of random stuff throughout high school, um, throughout elementary and high school. And then when university came around, it was it, the conversation in my head specifically was, what is the purpose of doing four years of a lot of stuff when I can't, when I already do this? Like I'm already doing consulting for companies that I would, end up joining anyways after four years. So what's the purpose of this? And that was the big discussion that I had to kind of go through my head about, should I pursue the university or not? In high school, how did you get these consulting gigs? Because it's not common for a high school student to get that. So how'd you set yourself up? How'd you go about learning these things? Like, did you have a mentor? No, I think I've had many mentors that they don't know that they're my mentor. Informally, the way specifically I did it back then, and it may not apply now or may it may still apply, was I shared a lot of knowledge, a lot of tutorials on how to do stuff. So I had a blog. That blog was updated every couple days, even many times a day, where it was just like, hey, you know, did you know this is how you can do uh, WebSockets in Flash? Did you know you can do this in ActionScript? So I did that a lot. What that did was through just many months of accumulation of blog posts, that got me recognized as, hey, this person knows what he's talking about, right? Just like look at the blog post, there's sample code. GitHub wasn't around. Yep. So I was using Subversion. And so it's not like I was sharing my code publicly. It was just sharing it on a blog post. It was that here's how you can build X, wrote a tutorial. And so that got me noticed among people in the same field doing flex. And then I started talking to them, right? I added them on uh, Yahoo Messenger. We started chatting. So that's how I grew. I mean, I think that same formula would work now if it would just be, you have to choose the right technology. You have to choose the right niche. Yeah. Like I would say, if I was just going to start writing JavaScript tutorials, where there's like a billion of those. So what specifically can you write in JavaScript tutorials? Would you be wanting to talk about JavaScript tutorials that work with AI, right? Uh, like language models or something like that. So that 
you can pick a niche and you can start writing about it if you're really passionate about it. And then you'll get picked up if you start start sharing it. And, you know, nowadays there are many more tools, right? A lot of people do it on Slack communities. They'll do it on Discord, sure. yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter. So just realize that there are many more mediums to share. Uh, people share on TikTok. It's definitely harder yeah. these days. It's also easier. Yeah, It's harder because there's a lot of noise. The easiness is if you filter that noise, it's actually straightforward to get consulting gigs, get a bunch of this stuff. It's that a lot of people get caught up with the noise. They never end up learning one thing enough to do something valuable in it. Yep. So tomorrow, you know, right now, ChatGPT came out a year ago, then Palm came out, then Lava, and all these different things. And people just like jump on them like it's like you're playing Frogger, but you never end up learning. You end up just following the hype. And then when a company wants to hire you, they the companies, 99% of businesses aren't really looking to hire you for R&D. Yeah. They want a business problem solved. That business problem is most likely not going to be solved by the latest two-week-old technology. It's going to be solved by something that came out six months ago, a year ago, some sound business fundamental. And then once you solve it, you can improve it with a two-week-old technology. But that two-week-old technology is probably not going to solve the business problem. So they probably won't hire you. Yeah. And, you know, that's so on point. I think for like, whatever, 10, 20 years, it's like, hey, JavaScript is going to die. And there's always some new language. There's always some new things. The fact is that a language has stayed for a certain amount of time. You know, it's good to have that. You can always learn things afterwards because once you, after you learn the first language, the second language is much easier. But, you know, stick to the fundamentals. Yeah, um, absolutely. So you showed how you set yourself apart. How did you go about even learning that? Like, where did you learn that? Oh, lots and lots of sample code. There used to be, well, now these days, I mean, how I learn continuously is YouTube yeah. or uh, reading a lot of sample code and copying and pasting that sample code into your environment, running it, and then reverse engineering it to figure out what, what it's doing. So what I have never done is gone out and bought like a book on, say I'm learning Rust, yeah. right? And I learned that a couple of years ago for just to learn it. So what I what I will not do is go out and buy a book like Rust 101. What I will do is I'll go to the Rust website, install install the Rust, then open it, and then their documentation and just copy and paste it and run the first sample. When I, can I run it? Okay, then using that first sample, it's like follow it line by line. Like what is this first line even doing? And then I would delete it and I would run it again. And I guess it breaks, it doesn't do anything. So using that combination and then going back to Google and YouTube, that's how I've been able to learn. Even when I got into uh, AI, like 2016, I didn't go to school for machine learning or anything, but I got deep into NLP because the company I was working at and just all that. And that's really when I really learned Python. And that's how I just got into it, right? Just finding sample code, running it and dissecting it till I understand what's happening. Are you frustrated with your job search? Are you sending out resume after resume with no callbacks? If so, I have some good news. After three years of helping over 400 people land jobs at places like Meta, HubSpot, Google, Twitter, Amazon, Tesla, Disney, Sony, I created a course. In the Get Your Dream Career course, 
you'll discover best practices for creating a resume that stands out, and you'll also learn how to optimize your job search. It covers every aspect of the job, including resumes, application strategy, networking, LinkedIn profile optimization, interview guidance, and salary negotiation. You will also get a behind-the-scenes view of how recruiters use LinkedIn to find candidates. And of course, you'll get resume and cover letter templates. Get one step closer to your dream job. Sign up at the link in the notes below. Let's fast forward. You're deciding whether or not you should go to college. You already have experience. How was that decision and what did you end up doing? Well, I went and then I joined and then Android launched. And I said, yeah, it'd be cool to run a business on Android. So I started to run a business. It was like a social app marketplace where I could, you know, reach out and I could be like, you could be playing a game and I could be playing a game and you could be like, oh, you know, Faisal's playing Angry Birds. Let me ask him, you know, if I would like it. And you and I are friends. So I would say, yeah, you know what? I think you'll like Angry Birds a lot. Five out of five. So I built like a social marketplace. And then second year happened. And I said, you know what? Like, I need to do something more with this business. Right now, it's just this passive thing that I'm wasting a lot of time on. And so I've always tried to de-risk myself. I I take a lot of risk, but I always make sure that it's not a stupid risk. It's a very calculated risk. So when it was time to take that leap, I made sure I had something. So I said, you know what? I'm going to just pause school for a year and I'll go back to school in a year. So I had that safety net, right? I can just always go back to school. But in that year, I, I set up a challenge that I need to hit some amount of users, I need to get an investment for this business so that I can actually, you know, go, this is a viable business. Not that investment is a good metric, but for an 18-year-old or a 17-year-old, it felt like a good metric. And so I did that. I was able to get a small amount of money. And I said, great, I'll waste. I'll spend another year. I won't waste another year in university. I'll, like, take another year off. And so I did that again. And then by that year, the business wasn't working anymore. So then I said, okay, I have a choice. I can apply to a bunch of jobs and go back to school. So I went back to McMaster and I said to them, hey, what's the process of reapplying? I had stopped education two years ago. They said, you just need to like, you know, fill out a couple forms and reapply. They don't care. They want the money. And so I said, okay, great. I'll do that. That was, I think applications were probably like uh, March, April, May. And so this was March. And I said, okay, I have two months. I'm going to try to find a job. And so what I did was I applied a whole bunch of places. And I didn't really look for junior, intermediate, whatever. I knew they wanted a certain skill, and I knew I had that skill. So I said, great, I'm going to apply for this, this, this. And I got a bunch of calls back. I moved on to, like, final interviews for, like, three or four of them. And three of them were in California. One of them was in Toronto. And uh, two of them were in Toronto. I think three of them were in California. So I said, okay, I'll go to my first interview, the Toronto one. I go to the Toronto one, and I sit in their room. I do my coding test. Then it was like a two-hour coding test about solving all sorts of stuff in Java. And the funny thing is I had never done an interview in my life before. So I just sat there, did this like formal, like actual in-person coding interview. So I did this, I figured out it. And honestly, I think it was hard, but it wasn't, it wasn't impossible as in like, this is a brain teaser. I think that company Kobo 
has done a great job in designing the interviews for the real world. So they didn't give me like a leak code nonsense. Uh, what they gave me straightforward was, here's a problem we have. We want to check the algorithm for the ISBN numbers, solve it. And then I did that. I did a bunch of other stuff on, on Android, object-oriented programming, Java. That was like two hours. And then the hiring manager came back two hours later. Then they just grilled me with more questions. And I answered them because I had this experience for two years. I've been working on Android. So I knew Android inside and out. And then they said, okay, great. Uh, what's your salary? And I had no idea what companies pay. So I said, well, what's the role? And they said, well, you applied to a senior role, but since you don't have a lot of experience, we'll hire you for intermediate. And I said, okay, right? Because I was clearly not a junior. Yeah. Uh, and so I said, okay, how, what's the salary? And I think they said 80 or 85. And I, yeah, I think they said 80. Then I, then I moved it up to 85. And so I said, how about 85? And they said, okay, sounds good. And I said, okay. There was never, for me, it was, I needed a job. This was uh, this was a job that was given to me. I'll take it. There was never a negotiation of, hmm, maybe I'll come back to them. Maybe I'll apply, look at the other jobs and stuff. For me, it was, the goal right now was to get experience. It was not to negotiate on the best type of job I'm looking for. I got lucky. I think it was a fantastic company. I would you know, recommend everyone work at Kobo. But... Day one, I started talking to uh, different engineers, got to know a lot of people, and those people have helped me a lot in, in the future uh, things that I've done. Wow, that's amazing. Now, how did you set yourself up for success? Because getting a role is one skill. How did you do well despite being so young? Because I know sometimes like you'll have other people be like, what is this young kid doing? And it's about having the right attitude and being able to build relationships. Well, yeah, so building relationships is one thing, but you just have to put in the time. Like, there were some days that I was working till like, midnight. There were some days I was I was put on this team where we were building hardware. So I was on the Android OS team. So I was working on the OS part, and we were building a tablet. There were some times where I was flown to Ottawa in the morning. I used to go do work with our contractor there come back at like 7 p.m. and then stay at work till like midnight because I strategically, what I did was I said, you know, I'm given a choice. And this is what I think a lot of people need to kind of realize is it's a short-term choice, but it's a choice. It's a, it's an opportunity you've been given. So what you can do is you can say, I ended up renting a place very close to my work because I did not want to spend two hours commuting because I said, sure, two hours commuting would mean I would have to pay no rent because my parents live two hours away. But by spending that money, it was an investment that I could stay at work longer and not just working. I could meet people. I wouldn't have to like disappear right after like five, got to go catch my train because I wanted to network and I wanted to meet these people and get to know them because A, they're very smart people, but that's how I would grow in this company. So Sometimes I ended up staying till like 10, 11 and not every day, but there were times where just it was part of this, like this mission. We have to get this product out. we got to do what we have to do. And I think that helped a lot where they quickly saw that, great, this person clearly knows how, what to do because I'm delivering nonstop. So I was promoted multiple times there till I left two years later. And I kind of in my mind always said, I'll, till I start my own business, 
like till I go full time in my own business, I'll always stay at a company for two years because then I could try another company, another whole idea. So that's what I ended up doing. So now you stayed at the company two years. What came next? Through the networking, the company, the, the CEO of the company sold the company and started another business. He reached out. Um, he said, hey, I'm hiring a bunch of people. Do you want to join? So I said, sure. So then I joined. And that was it. There was no interview process because I had I made enough connections. And so I went and worked there. And I stayed there for another two years. And then I said, okay, you know what? I don't want to be in this space anymore. It was like a healthcare company. And it wasn't exciting because we had pivoted to insurance. And it wasn't that exciting to me. So I said, okay, I want to do something else. AI might be really cool. And through networking, I knew one of the CEOs of a company that had just started an AI company. And so I emailed him and I said, hey, are you looking to hire a senior engineer? I'm happy to take a pay cut. The goal was always to make enough money to save, but not get too greedy in the money because the experience was more important. You know, that first job I got paid, eventually I got promoted and I got paid enough really well. And then the second job that I took when the company started, I took almost like a 50, 60% pay cut because I said, it's a fantastic entrepreneur and I'd love to work with him. Sure, I've, I can still save money. And then uh, the third job, I got paid the same for the first like year because it was a really small startup. But that job was offering me something that was more valuable to me at that time, which was learning about AI and ML. And so to me, the choice was I can continue to I can take a big pay cut here and learn about AI and ML that I have zero idea about. Or I can tell this guy who's just self-funding a business, no, you got to pay me like a huge thing or I won't join. He'll find someone else. And so, and then I might not get an opportunity to learn AI and ML. So I said, okay, I'll take it. Eventually, that business did fairly well. I stayed there for two years. Uh, they just recently got acquired. But I learned AI and ML, and then that got me into consulting. And I did, I've done Google Cloud consulting for companies like Boston Dynamics, working on their spot robots, a bunch of big brands because of AI and ML I learned. Yeah. And, and my rates are crazy, but that's just because I was able to learn AI and ML at a discounted rate. Yeah. I got paid. You know, but that, that you just have to take sort of risk like that if yeah. you're able to. You know, I find that you did it right in the sense of a lot of people are thinking, what's the immediate thing I can get right now? What's the immediate salary I could get right now? And a lot of people are not thinking, how will this set me up for two years from now, four years from now, five years from now? Because you having that experience then, when AI is hot, you're not someone new just moving into AI. You're someone with authority. You're someone who exactly. understands, you know, because there's so many buzzwords and now all these tools just say we're AI and it's like they're doing the same things they were doing before. Now they just put the AI it's, buzzword. You have to have this abundance mindset like there's enough money for everyone. You can't time it, but how you try to time it where it's like, okay, I can see I want to get inside. Like there was a time where I actually wanted to get really into AI health. And it's funny how the life just like missing an email. So I reached out to this company. I really actually wanted to work with this company. And, and it was an AI company that was doing medical imaging for MRIs. And I was like fascinated by it. And so I was doing the same algorithm that I always do, which is 
I'll take a pay cut. I'll go learn this if they wanted to. If they if they were going to pay me the same, fantastic. But like I was ready to do that. I done all the math on my finances. I reached out, and uh, the founder was excited to meet me. And unfortunately, I think what happened was the founder either had to got they were busy fundraising and had to cancel our meeting or something like that happened. And during that time, I just got sidetracked with other stuff, and we never ended up meeting. But if we had met, I am sure, and, and if he liked me, I'm sure I would have gone into AI health and just gone into that track. So it's something that I always do. Uh, like even, even this business that I'm doing now, which is AI, I mean, death, and we've included, built like this whole tech company around death. That happened because I was in Japan. I met a founder that I had known was my boss many, many years ago, and he was running another business now in Japan, and I was very confused. And so just meeting him, again, the, the power of meetings, just meeting him, reaching out to him, he got me very interested inside this sector. And then I started thinking about it. And again, I randomly met another uh, business partner through a mutual friend uh, that said, hey, Faisal's working on a business, thinking about business. You're also thinking about business. You two should meet. Both of us met, and uh, then we just started this business. You know, it just shows how networking is something that you start early, and it's not a one-time thing. It's something you do for years to get that one opportunity that leads to a business that changes your life. And the important thing is you have to help. I, you have to constantly, constantly be helping people because, again, it's an abundance mindset. Just because you help someone get a, get a job doesn't mean you can't get a job. And so I think I've always tried to go out of my way to help engineers, like even just on this podcast, I mean, I don't get paid for this, nor am I selling any services. Uh, this is purely as a way where I like helping new engineers get inspired and get started in their careers or non-engineers doesn't matter, which is it's cool because you can do it. It's just having that abundance mindset. And yes, luck, but the, a lot of luck is just trying a bunch of things and something will work out. Yeah, no, definitely putting yourself out there. So you mentioned you were in Japan. Yeah. That's what you got the, the idea for this business. Yeah. So that was, that was where I got the idea of like, need to do something in death. And then I came back and I'd have, I've run multiple businesses throughout the 10, 12 years uh, since dropping out. And I've, they've all, some of them have made money. Some of them have just been like passive businesses, but none of them have been a business that I wanted to go full time on because they weren't really full time businesses. They were businesses were intended to design Passive income, but this also with the hope that one day it could become bigger, but it never did. Maybe I just didn't like it enough or maybe it just never was able to or it was too risky. And then I went to Japan, met this guy. He was running a death care business. I got very, very interested. And so I came back. And one of the things I've learned is you can either start a business that you understand the industry really well, or if you do a business that you don't really understand the industry and you don't aren't working with someone that understands the industry, then you are going to have a very bad time because yeah. you won't, you'll be stuck learning everything from zero when you want to de-risk yourself. And so what I ended up doing was just kind of shelving the idea in the back of my mind through a random mutual friend said, Hey, you two should meet. And I met my uh, now co-founder and her dad was the, uh, she's a daughter of a funeral director. Her dad's a funeral director. And that was like the connection of, wow, no one else is talking about death except you. 
let's go for it. And so we just started working on a business and flash forward to like five, six years now, uh, the, you know, we just raised a big seed round. We're expanding. We have 20, 25 employees now. So it's, a, it's been a massive success and we, we're just getting started. You're going through the journey of being a founder. What are some challenges of being like that founder that's in it full time? Because a lot of people will have side businesses and it's different when you have a side business and you have your main business supporting you, benefits, all that. Whereas it's different to make a little off a of business and get it to a level where it's like, hey, it can replace my salary. And then you run into another issue like, can I take it to the next level? Because I've seen people will, they'll work 80 hours for the same pay and they're kind of stuck. So they've essentially bought themselves a job, right? There's no, they can't scale past a certain point because they need extra money, but they can't get extra money because they can only make so much and they have to finance at least, you know, they have to survive. So how was it going through those first few years? Again, de-risking, I did a bunch of consulting to not take money from the business. Uh, I didn't pay myself for like almost two years. But then when I did start paying myself, it was a gradual increase of, well, is this right for the business right now? And I st- as I brought down my consulting. But then when I eventually went full, full-time, like, like the old business is the only thing, it's scary, but also not because you have all these people that you're employing. There's tons of revenue coming in. So that's I think that's the key ultimately is can you see, can you build a predictable model? I think... The people that work 80 hours and are still stuck are most likely doing consulting. And consulting is a very, very unscalable business unless you are able to build a sales pipeline by investing in sales. So you need some capital, whether it's your own capital or you get an investor. The consulting company that I worked for, they did it the right way. They bootstrapped it. But for many, many, many years, they were just the three of them and scaling up was impossible and then they were able to break in and basically hire an external sales team that started bringing them a lot of leads and then that's how they were able to grow so consulting is very hard and that's always not a scalable business but if you do have a non-consulting business you have to figure out how to unlock you making money while you sleep and that eventually when you can figure that out that's when you can scale the business and and then take a risk on it, whether it's getting a bank loan, small business loan, or friends and family. Um, if you have rich friends, I guess. Um, not everyone does, but that network pays off, right? Like if you were doing this, a lot of my, my investors are good friends that I know for the past 10 years that have worked for me. Where I've worked with me at different businesses. Now they've believed in me that, hey, there was this idea and I showed them some traction. They said, okay, we'll give you some amount. So it's just about making that, like ultimately that blueprint is networking. Yeah, no, networking is a solid blueprint Um, because oftentimes they say, hey, go get an MBA, go get this for the networking portion. And a lot of times it's like, you don't need to go to the school to network. You can network anyway. You can, there's so many startup meetups colleagues, friends, it's it's work. It's not easy, but putting yourself out there consistently will lead to a lot of uh, good relationships. Now, looking back, what would you say is your biggest accomplishment to date? I think, I actually think it's Irene, the, the online cremation, uh, online funeral home, because it's a business that I've been able to get to a post-seed level 
Like it pays me the most. Um, it does something that is exciting and we're able to be doing like, essentially it's like, this is something that's very cool and it's not like a toy. Like this is an actual business where we're making an impact on people's lives and it's you're taught, you're just meeting a lot of very interesting people. And so I think Irene is a fantastic accomplishment. I think other stuff, I mean, all these different like little projects that I've done anytime I've made like hundred bucks, I'm like, wow, this is great. Like I actually made a hundred bucks out of this. So Irene definitely is a good accomplishment. Now, what would you say is the hardest thing that you went through? I think uh, the hardest thing is probably just having like that first business don't not work out and having the subsequent probably million other businesses don't work out. Either you become very thick skinned and go, whatever, right? Or you can't play the game. I Like the number one thing, whether it's trying to get a job, whether it's anything professionally, is you have to treat it like a game. And you have to treat it like an arcade game specifically. So the, the rules of the arcade games are simple. You need enough coins to keep that game going, right? So if you want to build a business and you, you, know, you want to be the next Bill Gates or whoever, right? Or you want to just run a passive side income business. The rule of the game is you need to continuously build and try new things till you can have a hit or try different businesses. And the only way to do that is you have enough coins to keep putting in the arcade machine. And so that's why when that first job offer came, I took it because I knew that that was going to help me get some money so I can try something else or even get a better job, get some experience. So the worst things that I've done has just been like, you know, multiple strings of things not working out. But eventually I was like, whatever, I, this is a game and then I'll continue playing it. And I've been playing it for a long time now. How do you maintain like the confidence to do it again? Because like, it sucks, right? You do something, you have the idea, you did the research and you can't make it work. How do you tell yourself like, hey, you know what? Let me do this again because I know something's going to work out. You have to, like, what's, there's no different than you. How are you different than anyone else on this planet, right? In fact, if you're living in North America, I would say you are probably more privileged than a lot of other people on this planet and have the ability to fail a lot more versus someone uh, in India or, say, someone in, uh, in one of the many countries in Africa. Like, you have more purchasing power. You have more safety nets. You have a lot of things going for you. And so I think always it's great. Things did not work out. Terrible. Figure out why. So mourn for a month, two months, feel sad about it, but then figure out why it didn't work out. And so many times when things didn't work out for me, why didn't it work out? Marketing, I didn't know crap about marketing. So I learned. I started learning about marketing for the next time. I didn't know anything about UX or UI. Started learning about that. Not that, that that's why the business failed, but one of the many reasons was I just didn't know how to build a proper website, right? Or I didn't know how to build a mobile app. So you have to like figure out what, why you couldn't get the business off the ground. Was it technical, business, funding? I didn't, you know, we ran out of money. Well, why did you run out of money? We should have just had an accountant. Like these are examples. And not necessarily things happen to me, but you need to figure out why things haven't worked out address them and then and then rebuild something new have you ever felt insecure about not having a degree 
Oh, all the time. Especially early on. But at the same time, it's kind of cool. Because think about it. The key is, who are you in the room with? And I have worked and I continue to work with extremely smart people. And you're in the room with extremely smart people. Not because someone's, you know, said, oh, you know, I feel bad for this guy. Let's just put him in the room with the smart people. No, you're there because you also are smart. And so I think you have to look at it from the other aspect, which is these people went to school and they have PhDs or whatever. And you're also working shoulder to shoulder with them on really cool stuff. You're Everyone's equal. I think I've always thought about everyone as equal. It doesn't matter how much education or how little education you are. If you're able to provide value, then you're equal. Now, I'm going to ask you something different. If you saw your 18-year-old self walking across the street today, what would you tell him? Uh, stress probably less. I stress a lot. I used to even more. Now, probably not as much. I think now, after multiple things not working out, you kind of just develop a thick skin. But I think before, definitely a lot of stress. So, But that stress also sort of sometimes helps you uh, push. But it also is bad because you make dumb decisions. And so I would definitely say stress less. Now, what general advice would you give for someone who wants to get into engineering without a college degree today because nowadays there's so many more resources that just didn't exist, right? Online courses are abundant, right? That before you had to kind of dig in, go to the forums, but now it's a lot easier. So what advice would you give? Honestly, because there's so many sources, it's easy to learn. So your challenge is not learning. I would say 20 years ago, the challenge was, does this guy like, it was easy to get a consulting job 20 years ago if you knew the technology. If you knowing the technology is not enough anymore, you have to learn to sell yourself. So you actually have to become a salesperson. A lot of people don't know, understand that. That number one thing you're doing all the time is selling yourself. Whether you're working at a company, whether you're trying to get a contract job, like why would someone hire you over someone else? There's 20,000 people that have applied to this job right? And what sets you apart? It's the selling aspect that you have to do. Otherwise, you won't be able to stand out. So the, the better you learn to market yourself better, the how you present yourself, how you talk about yourself, you'll have a much higher chance. Like I'll give you actually a good example. There were, I, at one point I was looking for an engineer in 2020 and I posted that and I got like tons and tons of replies on my DM saying, hey, I can be an engineer. I know HTML, CSS. There was one person that responded that was uniquely different saying, hey, you don't even know what they specifically wrote, but they sold themselves as more than I know HTML, CSS. And I started chatting with that person and he's he's been very successful, has gone to do lots of great things, but it's about selling yourself, right? And, and not giving up on yeah, and knowing that sale and knowing how to talk to people, because I get so many people who send me a message and they're like, hey, I'd love to work for you. And it's like, okay, first of all, I didn't say I was hiring. But now, okay, but I'll still entertain. I get it. Now it's like, they try to say, hey, I graduated. And I was like, well, I'm no degree.com. Sure. You don't want to lead with the graduation. You want to lead with yeah. something else. You know, even if they said something like, yes, I did go to school, but I really loved your mission. Even that one connecting point. Now I'm I'm looking at you at a different lens. And Oftentimes, like you got to think about who you're talking to, what their mission is, what they're looking to do, what problems do they have, and what solutions can you provide? Yeah. And sometimes where it's like, hey, look, 
I'd love to show you a sample of what I can do. Give me five hours. You know what? It's like low risk for me. It's no risk for me. It's like, hey, prove yourself. So you have to get creative, especially nowadays, because look, we get so many emails. We get so many LinkedIn messages. There's just so much to choose from. Why would we choose you? So it's like you have to be able to sell yourself, build that connection and show, hey, I'm less risky than all these other people. Exactly. I really want to thank you for your time. This was such a good episode. Thank you for sharing your experience. And I look forward to your business growing and looking forward to you getting that next round. Thank you. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show is worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash no degree inc. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D, last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem. NoDegree.com.